A little bit of a, a whirlwind for, I think, a lot of people in this room, uh, and I know everybody's got different things going on in their lives. I, I know, so Monday, uh, I, I came into the church building planning to meet with Alex for lunch, and it was like the one time that I was actually early for a meeting, and uh, I'm dressed, I mean, I'm, I'm getting ready to go to the, the gym, and so I've got like sweatpants on, and I haven't showered or anything, and uh, I come in, and Perry's in here. I was like, what's Perry doing in here? And, uh, and he says, well, WLKY is coming to interview us. <laughs> I was like, what? And so I tried to sneak out, but they caught me. And they're like, can we interview you? Well, Perry introduced me as the pastor. And they're like, okay, can we interview you too? And I'm like, uh, no. <laughs> this is Perry's thing. He can do it. <laughs> and then they're like, well, are you part of Mark 12? And I'm like, uh, and Perry's like, yes, he's the, he's the board of directors. <laughs> he's on the board of directors. <laughs> and so he threw me under the bus totally. And so uh, long story short, thankfully, they only took like five seconds of my interview, and they, they focused mainly on Perry. But it's been amazing. Uh, God has been opening up door after door after door since Monday with Mark 12, and I'm just blown away by the support of the community, and, and uh, there's some big things happening within Mark 12, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what God does uh, through that ministry, so continue to stay in prayer for what's going on there. Uh, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, and if you've got one of our Bibles, it's on page 967 is where we're going to start in chapter 14, verse 1. We have been walking through the book of Luke for quite some time. I think we'll finish up in about a year from now, if my uh, estimation is correct. But we are in the middle of it right now. And if you've been with us or if you've read the book of Luke, you know that uh, Jesus and the Pharisees don't really get along too well, right? <sighs> to, to say it lightly. Uh, up until this point, they have been clashing. And one of the primary things that they've been clashing over has been the Sabbath. Uh, the Sabbath is a pretty big deal in Scripture, too. Uh, I don't think I can say, I, I don't think I can overstate that. Think about it. First place that the Sabbath is mentioned is where? Genesis, right? Uh, God creates the earth in six days, and on the seventh day, He Sabbathed, He rested. And then in Exodus, the Sabbath is the number four of the Ten Commandments. It's a pretty big deal. God commanded the Israelites to rest on the Sabbath as a sign that they were to be different from the rest of these other nations. And in fact, the penalty for breaking the Sabbath was that you would be taken out of the camp and everybody would stone you to death. It's a pretty big deal. And so in the 500 years leading up to Jesus, the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the lawyers, they decided that they needed to add some rules to the Sabbath law to prevent them from breaking the Sabbath law. In fact, part of the reason that the Israelites were exiled was because they were breaking the Sabbath. And so they really wanted to prevent the Israelites from, from breaking the Sabbath. And so they added all of those lists and lists upon lists of rules that they had so that they wouldn't break the Sabbath. And so Jesus comes on the scene and he's breaking all these man-made rules. Uh, he, he doesn't pay attention to those rules. And the Pharisees, of course, take that up and they argue with Jesus. And they say, look, Jesus, you're undermining Moses, which he wasn't. In fact, he turns it around on them and says, look, you're actually the ones that are undermining Moses because you're adding to God's word with these man-made laws. Uh, 
And so in this passage, we're going to see that conflict play out again. And I pray that we would learn something from it. Let's, let's pray right now. Father, again, I, I recognize that all the preparation for this sermon means very little to nothing if your spirit doesn't move in our hearts. And so I plead with you now that your Holy Spirit would open the eyes of our hearts to see not what we want to see in this passage, but that we would see what you inspired the original author with and that we would see your glory in it, that we, we would be in awe of who you are and the mercy that you've given us and that that would change us from the inside out for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 14. So one Sabbath when Jesus, he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and he healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. It was typical, it was normal for a guest preacher in the synagogue to be invited by the ruler of the Pharisees to their house to eat. In fact, this is not the first time Jesus has gone and eat with, eaten with Pharisees. That was normal. But it seems like in this case, again, the Pharisees have invited Jesus, into, he, he invites him into his house to watch him carefully. Okay, now this watching carefully is not because they just adore Jesus and love Jesus and want to be around Jesus. It's not like they're hanging on every word of Jesus's to, to be able to obey him and follow him. No, they're watching him in hopes to catch him say something or do something that will expose him as a fraud. They hated Jesus. They, they wanted Jesus to, to be dismissed. They wanted Jesus to, to be ultimately to be destroyed. And so they're trying to trap Jesus in this moment. Now look at verse 2. And behold, there just happens to be a man there who has dropsy. Now, when Luke uses that word behold, he's trying to get your attention. He's saying, look, what I'm about to say is really important. And dropsy, uh, if you don't know what that is, which probably most of us don't, it's, a, it's an old medical term, okay? Uh, it, today, we would probably call it edema, okay? And so if you're in the medical profession, you know that that's uh, a whole lot of swelling is going on. And so your body is... Uh, building up fluid because your, your heart is no longer functioning right or, or your kidneys are no longer functioning right. And so imagine somebody that's really swollen up, like their, their ankles have kind of disappeared and they just look like... And so they're in a whole lot of discomfort, right? Okay, if you've ever experienced edema, you know what that feels like. It's no, it's no fun. You feel bloated, you're discomfort. I mean, it's awful. And so that's what's going on. This man is there. And Jesus responded, look at verse 3. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying... Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Now, it's interesting that Luke says that Jesus responded to them. Because up until this point, Luke hasn't mentioned that the Pharisees and the lawyers have said anything. And so, uh, I think he's implying that more than likely, Jesus has just perceived their thoughts. Because he can do that. He's God. 
I wouldn't be surprised if this man with dropsy was actually planted there by the Pharisees. Um, the text doesn't say that, but the, the Pharisees wanted, they just wanted Jesus to mess up. They wanted Jesus to, to break the Sabbath so they could point at him and say, look, this guy's a fraud. And so Jesus turns it on him, though. He says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Now, I don't think they were expecting that question. I, re- I really don't, I think that caught them by surprise because you think about it, that would be like somebody asking today, is it lawful for me to jaywalk if I see like a, a young boy that's just fallen off his bike and he's in risk of getting hit by a car? Is it, is it wrongful for me to jaywalk in that situation? Of course, it's, it's illegal to jaywalk, but in that situation, the uh, saving a life is more important. Right? And so he, he's kind of trapped them. The Pharisees were hoping to trap Jesus, but of course, in the end, he ends up trapping them. The Pharisees and Jesus are kind of like Wiley e. Coyote and, and uh, the Roadrunner. That's kind of how I picture, where the, the, the Wiley's always trying to get the Roadrunner, and this is dating me a little bit. Some of you probably have never even heard of Wiley e. Coyote and the Roadrunner. But uh, no matter how hard he tries, the Roadrunner always outsmarts him, and he, Wiley ends up falling off a cliff or getting trapped and blown up by his own device. Well, that, that's what's happening again here in this situation. They're, they're no match. The, yeah, the Pharisees, they're Wiley, but they're no match for Jesus. Look at verse 4. But they remain silent. They don't know how to respond. Then he took him and healed him and he sent him away. So why would the Pharisees remain silent? Well, it could be because there's no passage in the Old Testament that, that says you can't, that prohibits healing on the Sabbath. It's just not there. It was one of their man-made rules. It's a tradition. But notice also Luke's emphasis here is not on the miracle. I thought that was interesting too. He just kind of heals them and sends them away and that's all you hear about this guy. The focus of Luke here is on the interaction between Jesus and the Pharisee. That's the point of this passage. Look at verse 5. And he says to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could, again, they could not reply to these things. And so Jesus basically just puts them in their place. He's basically saying that, look, if you had a son or even if you had an ox that was in danger or in some kind of need, and if it was the Sabbath, you'd have no problem breaking the Sabbath if you cared about that person or that even your animal. But here, this man is obviously in pain, obviously suffering. He's right in front of you, and you could care less about him. You care more about your tradition and your man-made laws right now. And so Luke here, and this is the point of the text. If you're taking notes, this is the heart of the text. This is the point of the text. Luke is exposing the hardness of the Pharisees' hearts, and he's comparing it to the compassion of Jesus. That's the focus of this passage. And so the, reason that the, the real reason that the Pharisees and Jesus did not get along is because the Pharisees had a very big misunderstanding about the nature of God. See, they looked at God as, a, as simply a lawgiver, a rule maker. They looked at God as someone who only looked at their external compliance to the law of God. And so essentially, Pharisees were extreme legalists. Okay, so what is a legalist? A legalist is somebody who is convinced that 
law-keeping is the grounds for acceptance with God. Let me say that again. A legalist is somebody who is convinced that, a law, that law-keeping, that keeping the rules is the ground for us to be accepted, acceptable to God. And this is many, many people. I talk to many, many people, I, and I ask them a question. Okay, if you would die today, uh, how would you know that you would go to heaven? And most people, they answer by saying, well, well I'm a pretty good person. Okay, I follow the rules, right? It's interesting. Spurgeon actually argued that we're all born as legalists. From day one, we're, we're legalists. He once preached, beloved, the legalist in us is a great deal older than the Christian. If I were a legalist today, I should be some 15 or 16 years older than I am as a Christian, for we are all born legalists. See, see we're all born believing that we can earn or even deserve heaven. We're all born that way. And, and often people resist the gospel. They resist grace because what does that imply? It implies that you're not perfect, that you're a sinner, that you need God's mercy. And so legalism comes very natural to all of us. And so the Pharisees, they're just they're extreme legalists, not the newborn kind. They've learned to, to kind of cover up their fears and their struggles with, with their knowledge, with their morality, with their religion. They're really good at religion. And so Pharisees are, are legalists who have been puffed up because of their, their knowledge and the pride that comes from that. They, they look smart. They, they look like they have it all together. They're educated. They're clean cut. They look like they're alive on the outside, but inside they're, they're dead. And so we're all born legalists. Pharisees are just better at it. They're more informed. Uh, back in Luke chapter 5, Jesus overhears the Pharisees gossiping with his disciples, and they're asking, why, why do you eat and drink with uh, the, the tax collectors and the sinners? I, I love Jesus' response to them. He says, those who are well have no need for a physician. But those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Now, Jesus is not saying that he only came for those who obviously need help, like the, the prostitutes and the murderers and the sinners, the tax collectors. I mean, all of us need Jesus. He's saying that I, I've come to save people who recognize their need. They recognize their need for mercy. The Pharisees believed that they are, I'm already righteous, they thought. I don't need mercy. I don't need Jesus. Jesus was a threat to them. Meanwhile, it was the tax collectors, it was the sinners that, that recognized their need for Jesus. They adored Jesus. And they, those were the people that wanted to hang out with Jesus. And ultimately, those were the people that were saved and transformed by Jesus. Jesus provides zero hope for those who don't recognize their need for him. And so the difficult truth that we need to hear today is that if we're not careful, we too can be blinded by our own legalistic tendencies. If, it, if legalism comes naturally to us, you think about it, the, the, the longer we spend in church, the more we get to know the Bible, the easier it is for us to become a Pharisee 
at heart. There's a, there's a danger there that our knowledge can puff up into pride and we can be very much like a Pharisee. And so this is my prayer. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be dealing with the Pharisees. And the, the question that I want all of us to ask each week over the next few sermons is, okay, what, what is Jesus trying to teach us about the Pharisees? What is he trying to teach us? And, and, and what kind of Phariseeism is in our heart that needs to be rooted out? That's my prayer, that the Pharisee in us would be rooted out over the next few weeks. I, I know that I desperately need to, I, I need that message. I need for Jesus to go toe-to-toe with the Pharisees in the Bible because there's still a, a Pharisee inside of me that lives. It's easy for me to slip into legalism. Uh, the, these kind of sermons are, and this is what we typically do, and this is what Pharisees do. We, we listen to these kind of sermons and we think, gosh, I wish my, my, uh, my friend could have heard that. <laughs> or I wish my, my husband could have heard Heard that sermon. That's what the Pharisees do, though. And so let's try to avoid that and ask the question, constantly ask the question, okay, what is it in this text that I see that I need to deal with my own heart? What is Jesus trying to root out in my own heart? And so in this particular text, the primary symptom that he's dealing with, the the Pharisaical symptom is the, the lack of compassion that they have. Uh, They were more concerned about Jesus breaking one of their traditions than they were about the man right in front of them that was suffering. And this is a common theme with the Pharisees. They they were constantly more focused on their rules than they were about people. They they seemed to have very little love or no love for people, especially the people that were in need. Uh, Back in Matthew 23, uh, verses 23 and 24, Jesus actually rebukes them for this. He says, look, you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These things you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out the gnats and swallowing the camel. I love the picture that that puts in your mind. This is what he's saying. He says, look, you love to focus on the small, little, easy-to-follow laws, and you neglect the weightier Laws, the more important laws like justice and mercy and faithfulness. Is this not the American church, though? If we're honest, we get so focused on on little things. I mean, churches split over the color of a carpet. Ridiculous things like that. But to make it a little bit more personal, I, I think we also, as individuals, it's easy for us to slip into a Phariseeism that that says, you know what, I'll obey Christ when it's convenient to me, uh, when it fits into my schedule, when it doesn't cost me very much, or maybe when I get something out of it. You see, the, the Pharisees seem to look for every conceivable excuse not to help the poor and the oppressed and the needy. In fact, they looked down on Jesus for sitting with the sinners. He, they despised Jesus for healing and casting out demons on the Sabbath. They, uh, they're the villain, right, in the, in the parable of the Good Samaritan. They're the ones that just walk by the man who's just been mugged and left for dead. And so this passage reminds us of a very important biblical principle that God desires mercy and not sacrifice. 
Have you heard that phrase before? God desires mercy and not sacrifice. Well, what in the world does that mean, though? Well, that phrase actually comes from the Old Testament. Hosea uh, chapter 6, verse 6. Hosea is condemning the Jews for attempting to excuse their own idolatry and their own uh, neglect and, and really oppression of the poor by just simply offering the prescribed sacrifices. And so this is kind of equivalent to, okay, I've messed up. I just need to go to the, the priest and make my confession and I'm good again. Okay, they, they were, I can live however I want to live as long as I'm doing the right sacrifices. That's kind of what they were doing back in Hosea's time. And so Jesus actually quotes that passage a couple times in Matthew. Uh, on one occasion, he's talking, both times are with the Pharisees. He's talking to the Pharisees. On one occasion, the Pharisees have just complained because they saw the disciples of Jesus picking some grain out of the field because they're hungry. And so Jesus gets on them and he, he quotes Hosea 6.6. 6. He, says, he says to the Pharisees, and if you had known what this means, that I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not be condemning the guiltless. And then he says this, for the Son of Man is Lord over the Sabbath. I love that. Jesus is like, look, the Sabbath doesn't rule me. I rule the Sabbath. All right? Uh, Jesus is informing them that, look, all of your rituals, all of your traditions, all of, this, all of your sacrifices matter very little if your hearts are not right, if your hearts are not reflecting a God of mercy and love and justice. The Pharisees, they had a huge disconnect between their heart and their head. They had this disconnect between what they knew about God and how they felt about God. There was a disconnect that led Jesus to say that the Pharisees, they honor me with their lips, but with their hearts, they are far from me. And this is us. This is you and me, often. Now, it's easy to pick on the Pharisees. That doesn't really change our own hearts. In fact, if all we do is point out their sins, that's we're really just being like a Pharisee, right? And so let me ask you some probing questions to help us diagnose our own spiritual condition and see if there's not some Pharisee left in us. Question one, do you tend to magnify the sins of others while minimizing or even ignoring your own? I know it's easy for me to do that, especially in my marriage. It's easy for me to point out what my wife is doing or my kids are doing and ignore my own sinful attitude and behavior? Do you tend to magnify the sins of others while minimizing or ignoring your own? Number two, are you quick to pass judgment, especially towards those who are less successful than you, but you're slow to inquire or to listen to those who you're judging? Are you quick to judge, especially if they're, they're less successful than you? And you're slow to listen to them. You're slow to ask them why they are in the position that they're in. Do you, do you say things like the Pharisee in Luke 18 says, thank God I'm not like them. Thank God I'm not like that sinner. Next question. Do you only hang out with those who are like you. That's what the Pharisees did, right? They only hung out with other Pharisees. Do you only hang out with people that are like you? Number four, do you fail to recognize your own need for mercy? 
Often we fail to show mercy to others because we don't realize how much mercy we needed and how much mercy has been granted to us on the cross. We come into a situation, we, we serve at Mark 12, and we think we have something to offer, but we ought to walk into those kind of situations when we're helping out the needy and recognize we are just as broken as they are. Our brokenness might bubble up differently, might bubble up into pride and, and other things, a love for money or something else, but we're just as broken as they are. We need just as much mercy. And then number five, do you tend to excuse yourself from helping those in need because you're already too busy doing good things for the Lord? If I'm not careful, this can be me. Do you, do you f- excuse yourself from helping those in need because you are too busy doing good things for the Lord? In today's passage, Jesus makes it clear that no concern for, for trying to be a good person or following the rules or doing good things for the Lord should ever trump the command to love our neighbors. Now, I want to make it clear, though, that Jesus is not, Jesus doesn't hate the Sabbath here, okay? That, that's not his goal. His goal is not to trash the Sabbath. Some people use passages like this to, to, to trash the idea of the Sabbath. Um, he, Jesus hated what the Pharisees had turned the Sabbath into. Think about the Sabbath originally was given to us by God as a, as a gift to us. It was given to the Israelites. Think about when it was given to them. It was given to them after they had just spent 400 years in slavery in Egypt. And so they come out of that and they're, they're given this gift of the Sabbath as Uh, uh, a way to rest on a weekly basis and celebrate their freedom. It was a day that was given to them to rest and to really just enjoy God. And yet the Pharisees had turned the Sabbath into a day of really fear and judgment. Uh, A day of just, you got to follow all of these rules, these lists and lists of regulations. And so instead of being a day of rest and enjoyment, had become a day that was really a burden to bear. And so a question we need to wrestle with, and I didn't realize until I really started digging into this this week, is uh, this is highly debated. But here's the question. As believers, do we need to observe the Sabbath? Uh, If you do some research on this, you'll realize that even uh, in the evangelical world, this is a debated topic. I didn't realize this, and, and this is something my thoughts have actually uh, changed a little bit over time as I've looked into this a little bit more. And so this is where I'm at right now. Do we need, as Christians, to observe the Sabbath? I, I would argue that no, at least not in the same way that the, the Jews did, the Israelites did. And, and I base this on two texts from the Apostle Paul. Uh, the first one is Romans chapter 14, verse 5. You can turn there if you want. But Romans chapter 14, 14, 14, verse 5 says this. This is Paul. He's saying, One person esteems one day is better than the other, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced of it in his own mind. And so the context of this passage is Paul is talking about 
uh, different freedoms we have in Christ, and specifically uh, the, the freedom we have to eat whatever we want. There's no dietary restrictions that we have anymore. And then he, he moves from that to talk about, okay, also the free, we have this freedom to treat every day the same. And it's in the context of him encouraging what he calls the stronger brother that, uh, that, that has these freedoms and recognizes this freedom not to offend the weaker brother who still kind of hangs on to some of those tradition, those rules. Um, and so he's basically saying, look, this is a second-tier issue. If there's somebody that you know that's a, a believer, as long as they're not trying to say that um, eating these certain things or spending the Sabbath day this way saves you, as long as they're not preaching a different gospel, it's okay for them to observe those things. And you ought not try to, uh, you don't have to make a big deal about it with them. And so that's the context of what's going on here. But I think it's significant that he mentions that uh, every, it's okay that every day can be the same or, or looked at as the same. Uh, the other passage, I think, makes it even more clear. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. And there Paul says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink, or with regard to festival or new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And so Paul, here, he's listing, again, he's listing these freedoms that we have in Christ that we, uh, regards to festivals and new moons, uh, food and drink, that we have these freedoms now. And I think it's significant that he lists Sabbath among those other laws that we no longer are bound to. Paul says that they're a shadow of Christ. In other words, they were designed to point to Christ. And I think that makes sense in that the Sabbath was designed to point us to the rest that we can have as believers in Christ, it's a partial rest that we have in Christ now, and it'll be a full rest one day in heaven for all of eternity. So as Christians, I don't believe that we're bound to a legalistic observation of the, the Sabbath. Now that being said, I think there's definitely some helpful principles in the Sabbath that we ought to pay attention to, we ought to learn from, it ought to teach us. And so one is rest is important. Uh, we've been de- designed by God to need rest. We, we're designed, we, we need sleep. Some of you are lacking sleep right now because you stayed overnight here or, or came home really late from a concert. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and when you're lacking sleep, you recognize, okay, I need sleep. And so what does sleep do? It reminds us that we're not God. It reminds us that uh, God is the one who is sovereign, and so when we allow ourselves to rest and we allow ourselves to sleep, we're saying, look, I trust you, God. Uh, This ministry, this world, does not, my job doesn't depend on me 100%. It depends on you, God. I trust you. And so rest is important. And so there, there, there is something to having a regular time for rest. And also I think uh, it, it's important, the Sabbath teaches us it's good to have a regular time that we dedicate to the Lord. Uh, that, that's what the Sabbath was for. It was a day set aside for God, to enjoy God. And so that's important. Uh, I think it's interesting at the, uh, the early church, they stopped observing the Sabbath, but they started observing the Lord's Day on Sunday. 
the first day of the week, a day that they would set aside to come together to worship because they recognized that they needed to be reminded of what God has done for them. For them. They, they needed their hearts to be recalibrated on a regular basis. And so they started coming together for worship and to fellowship. And so when we understand the Sabbath not as a specific day or uh, a bunch of rules that we have to follow, but as a guide that teaches us some valuable principles, I think it actually frees us to be more merciful, uh, especially on the Sabbath. Uh, and the lesson today in today's passage is just that. Jesus wants us to enjoy our freedom in him so that we become more aware of the needs of the people around us. When we're not so focused on following the rules ourselves, we, we start to see other people and see the, the need that's out there. Man, there are great opportunities for you to get involved in, in sharing the mercy that has given you. I mean, what's happening with Mark 12 is, I, I think I said, I can't remember if I said this to Cam or, or somebody else, but it, I almost feel like we're kind of like a kite caught in a hurricane. Okay, I think, I, I heard another pastor say that one time, uh, I think it was Josh Howerton used to say that all the time, uh, that God's grace is just like a hurricane in this situation and we're, we're grabbing onto a kite trying to hold on, uh, which is why we need that solid rock. We sang about that earlier. But I would encourage you, if you're not connected to what's going on with Mark 12. I mean, uh, there's great opportunities to serve. And what I love about Mark 12, it's not about just giving a handout. It's about building relationships and reconciliation. That's what it's about. It's about ultimately helping people see their need to be reconciled with God and with other people, to build relationships with other people. And so it's about truly caring, not just giving a handout, but about truly caring for people. Uh, Orphan care. Gosh, we, we've got, uh, there, there's such a huge need. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. We've got a family who is foster, a couple families that are fostering right now that would love for you to, to come alongside them and support. We've got another family that's uh, trying to raise money for an adoption right now. So there are real tangible ways. That, that giving tree out there, um, there's several different envelopes that, that you can give financially to help different ministries, not just Mercy Hill, but different ministries that can really make a difference in people's lives. And so, so here's my heart, is that Mercy Hill would live up to our name. That we would be a church that uh, roots out the Pharisaic hearts and that we would see a wave of God's mercy come over this community like they have never seen before. And people's lives would be transformed because of it. Let's pray that that would happen. Father, we know that if we want to see your gospel have a, an amazing impact in this community, it starts in our own hearts, we need to experience your mercy firsthand in our hearts. We know that happens only as we, we meditate and we reorient our hearts towards Christ and the gospel. And so I pray as we sing and as we celebrate communion that our hearts would be aligned with you, that we would be reminded of the amazing mercy that you have given us and that that would overflow out of us 
in our relationships here in the church, in our families, at our jobs, at our schools, and in the community. I thank you for the position that you've put us in. I pray that we would be good stewards of that position and that you would continue to move in us for your glory, not ours. In Jesus' name, amen.